2 Samuel 2. I want you to look with me again this morning at verse 1. It gives us really the context of one of my personal favorite heroes in all of Scripture. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass after this. After what? Well, after the death of Saul. After seven long years of running, hiding in caves, and bloodshed, and exile, and great distress. After Saul has gone, what happens? Verse 1. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he, the Lord said, Unto Hebron. All right, so here's King David, the long-awaited crown and the throne finally his. And you know, instead of, beloved, being presumptuous or vengeful or impetuous or ambitious, Instead of just running on up to Judah and taking what belongs to him, the Bible says he prays and he inquires of the Lord. Shall I, should I, should I now go up to Judah? And when God says yes, David prays and asks again. And he says, Lord, what city? Where should I go? And the Lord told him, go to Hebron. You know, it's a reminder, by the way, that God welcomes specific Prayer requests. Verse 3. And the men that were with him, with, with him did David bring up every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now, folks, you have to remember what this scene was like. This is a coronation. This was a day of rejoicing and hope and justice Some of you in this room will remember the final scene in A New Hope. There's the trumpets and the cornets amidst all the fanfare. There are those, the faithful warriors and the fighters, they're receiving their medals. And yes, there's the princess, Leia, now the queen, I suppose, even R2 and the big hairy guy. They're all jubilant. It's really one of the most triumphant scenes ever for a Hollywood film. Well, the text this morning is... That scene, but in real, real life. This is a time of pure joy and goodwill. In fact, David even rewards those who sort of save the dignity of his enemy, Saul. Look at verse 5. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed the kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. Remember how they nailed him to the wall and shamed him, and these men sneaked in, and they buried him with dignity. And so David says in verse 6, And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. You see, folks, David has no bitterness. David has no ill will in his heart. And it's in the midst of all of this that, that we're reminded of our hero. Someone who actually exemplifies the two words of verse 6, kindness and truth. This hero is found in verse 2. So David went up thither and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. I want to ask you a question before we pray. You ever wonder why? Do you ever wonder why Abigail, David's wife, The queen now 
is still called Nabal's wife. Look at chapter 3, would you? And notice verse 3. And his second, talking about his kids, Kiliab of Abigail, look at this, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Why is that a thing? Folks, Nabal's dead. He's been dead for a long time. And for a long time, since Nabal's death, Abigail has faithfully loved and followed the king without a throne, without a crown, through war and deprivation and exile, so that she herself, you understand, is central to all of the joy and all of the hope of this David and her coronation. She herself is part of the royal court. So why is she called Nabal's wife? That's what I want us to consider this morning. As we look again at this amazing woman's testimony as recorded in the Word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word today. We are thankful, Lord, for you giving to us this morning the opportunity to hear and then to heed what your word teaches us. And I pray, Father, we will do exactly that. Help us, Lord, to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you know that the story of Abigail is one of my favorite biographies and revelations in all of Scripture. You know, Abigail is one of those powerful reminders, along with Joseph and along with Daniel and Job and others, that excuses, excuses don't really matter for a child of God. In the past, I have referred to Abigail and Nabal as Beauty and the Beast, the Princess and the Frog, Proverbs 31, married to April the 1st, as you know. <clears throat> and you know, the only way to understand the strength and the wisdom and the grace of this woman is to see her as Nabal's wife. You have to. In other words, it's not that she was David's wife, the king's wife, that highlights the glory of this woman's testimony and what we can learn from her. Verse 2 mentions Ahinoam from Jezreel, right? She was the mother of Amnon, whose life was a travesty. She was David's wife. So why isn't she our hero? Why aren't we preaching about her today? I can tell you why. Because Abigail was amazing before she ever met David. She didn't need a crown. She was already a queen. And the reason we know that is that she was married to a toad. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. Is it? Here's what the scripture says. And again, I'm going to have the guys put a lot of these on the screen to help you out. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel 25. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings and was of the house of Caleb. Later he's called a man of Belial, of the devil. Nabal is his name, it says, and folly is with him. The name Abigail means a father's joy. The name Nabal means fool, and oh yeah, I pity the fool. I really do. Notice on the screen, the last line of verse 3 says that he was of the house of Caleb. Now folks, that means that Nabal had a great heritage. He squandered, obviously, that heritage. He was of the priestly tribe, and Caleb himself, a prince of a man. Abigail and Nabal. 
two people whose names are either beloved or berated because, because exactly of what they did with their lives. Let me ask you this. How many of you know and are familiar with these names? Palti, Gil, Gadiel, Amiel, Suther, Nathbi, Shemua, Shaphat, and Igal. Have you heard of those guys? Some of you have, surely. How about the other two men who were in the same group? Joshua and Caleb. Twelve men went to spy on Cain and ten were bad and two were good. And the two that were good, we all know, and we name our children after them, and yet I've never held a baby named Igal. Here's my little baby pastor. Can we dedicate him? His name is Shaphat. <clears throat> Lots of Abigails. Zero on the Nabal babies. All right, that brings us to these lessons in their lives. The first one I want you to notice is that, number one, you can be blessed without being a blessing. Notice on the screen, 1 Samuel 25 and verse 2. And there was a man in man whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. Great in possessions, great in money, great in wealth. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Can you imagine, Deborah? 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. All right, so here you have a man, beloved, who was blessed in his heritage because of the house of Caleb, but in addition, he was wealthy and he was prosperous, so prosperous that it blinded him to all of the other good things and all of the other blessings in his life. Chapter 25, look at verse 4. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep, and David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my, in my, in my name. And thus shall you sh say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. Now folks, please try to remember what's happening here. The prophet Samuel had anointed King David, king of Israel, a long time ago. The crown is not yet on his head. Therefore, David tops Saul's most wanted list for his part. David is running his little army of misfits. About 600 men are on the run. They're moving from hideout to hideout until finally they come into the wilderness of Paran. And in that wilderness, David and his men begin policing the area, protecting farmers and their flocks, just in the hopes of maybe being able to scratch out a living. No contracts are signed, but they work hard. They protect all the farms in the area. At shearing time, the farmers gather the sheep to shave off all of the profits, and so consequently, they would share their food and their profits with these volunteer police, if you will, to help pay for their services. And that brings us to this villain. It brings us to Nabal, who is a man, tight-fisted miser. He refused. He refused to even notice or care about David's help. And even worse, therefore, he did not recognize blessings that were given to him. And so when David sends these goodwill ambassadors to Nabal to reveal this secret blessing, if you will, do you know what the man of Belial says? Look at it, verse 9. And when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David and ceased. 
And Nabal answered to David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Well, he, for one thing, he's the man that, that rescued you people way back in the days of the Philistine Goliath. He said, There be many servants now, a days that break away, away every man from his master. Wow. What an ingrate. Here's what he says next, verse 11. Shall I, notice the eye disease this man has. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? What a pathetic sense of entitlement this man had. You know, we live in America. We have a lot. In fact, as children of the living God, we are a lot by His grace. So that it would be very easy for us to embrace the mistaken notion that because of what we have, that we're somehow better than what we are. Or even worse, that we deserve what we have and what we are. D.L. Moody used to say that God has two thrones. One throne is in the highest heaven and the other is in the lowliest heart. And you know, folks, living in a place and a time in history when we are blessed beyond measure, and we are. As I sang a moment ago, I will sing of the goodness of the Lord. We have a lot to sing about. And yet in this time of the goodness of God, in an age, we also live in an age of pride and haughtiness where talent and beauty and fame and money are all considered virtues in our society. Living in this culture of unmitigated narcissism. It is so incumbent upon us as Christians to remember that Christ resides in the lowliest heart. To remember, beloved, that just because you're blessed, it doesn't mean you're a blessing. Nabal was blessed. He was not a blessing. And, beloved, we are called to be a blessing. You look at Nabal. Not only was he an Israelite, he was descended from one of the greatest Israelites who ever lived. Chances are that most of his possessions were inherited from the exploits of Caleb and his family himself. But you know, ancestry and affluence and appearances do not necessarily make for a good man. There are a lot of good men who have all of these things, but Nabal's not one of them. And I just think, listen, I just think it would be very good for all of us here in Jupiter, Florida, to think for a few moments very carefully about the grace of God. To be reminded of the fact that whatever we have, however far we've come, whatever we are, it's all by the grace of God. Nabal's ingratitude was the source of his insolence. It was his ingratitude that was the cause for his selfishness, his meanness, and his cruelty. In fact, I want you to notice what his own wife and his employees said and thought about him. This is chapter 25, verse 14. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. That means he reviled them, yelled at them. Now, folks, you don't want to become a person like that, do you? You know, there are people all over Palm Beach County, all over this area. I've lived here in high school, 
And they're so entitled. There are people all over this county who just, who just think that they have the right. That they are entitled to ridiculing and berating other people in restaurants and car washes and gas stations. They just think because of what they have and where they've come. Look at verse 17. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Do you know people like that? I do. Don't talk to him. Don't talk to her. Always walking on eggshells. That's what his employees thought. I remind you what Abigail herself thought. This is verse 25. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Now, I'm going to say it again, folks. You don't want, you young people in this room, you don't want to become a person like this. You don't want your family and your colleagues to look at you as a child of the devil because of your anger and your meanness and your foolishness and your stubbornness and your selfishness. All right? Then never lose sight of the grace of God. Never forget that you and I are nothing without Him. Andrew Murray once wrote that humility is the container into which Christ puts all the riches of His grace. Without that, you don't get all any of the others. You can be blessed without being a blessing. Because to be a blessing, you have to start from a place of gratitude and humility. And folks, today and here, right now, is a good place to start. It brings us then to the second thing. The lesson of these lives. Number two, you can be burdened without being a burden. Let me say that again. A child of God and Abigail... You can have burdens without being a burden to others. Now, you think about this woman and her dilemma. Folks, she didn't just know Nabal. She didn't just work for him like one of his servants. She was married to him. The verse earlier said that Abigail was a woman of good understanding and beautiful. That means that she had wisdom and beauty. She had insight. She could have started an advice column in the newspaper and called it Dear Abby, the original. (laughs) Well, can you imagine having God-given wisdom, extreme wisdom, and beauty, and at the same time being married to an angry, spiteful fool? Who said amen over there? Did somebody over there say amen? <laughs> I'm not going home with them. I'm not going to London. <clears throat> In other words, folks, she was burdened every day. Of course. She was burdened all the time. But here's what David said about her. Chapter 25, verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent me this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself to mine own hand. Wow. 
wisdom, blessing, goodness. That's what this woman was in spite of where she was. And I'll say it again, so-called peer pressure and your environment and circumstances, they do not force you into doing wrong or becoming a fool. Otherwise, as we noted, how do you explain Daniel in Babylon? Well, everybody's doing it, not Daniel. How do you explain Joseph in Egypt? How do you explain Mary in Nazareth? Rogerian psychology, which we had to study in seminary a bit, says that you can go ahead and blame your surroundings your environment for all of your bad choices, even your bad attitude. God doesn't say that. God doesn't allow a Christian the luxury of pointing to his situation or his upbringing or his lot in life and say, it's not my fault. That's what the world says. That's the defense that a lot of attorneys use in court. And the reason why God doesn't allow us that luxury is because God calls you an overcomer. And greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So here's Abigail. Obviously, she's an overcomer. She rose high above the circumstances that she found herself in. And folks, so can we. Most of you in this room, in some capacity this morning, have people under your influence, or at least in the sphere of your influence. You have children, grandchildren, students, friends, employees, Can I tell you something you cannot afford? You cannot afford to be a thermometer. You have to be a thermostat. You cannot allow the temperature around you to change you. You be the thermostat by the power and the grace of God, and as an overcomer, you change the temperature. And of course, we who live in grace have far more ability to do that than even Abigail did, but there she was. John Bunyan wrote these words, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. You can do all things through Christ. Just because your ship is in an ocean of bitterness, negativity, and selfishness doesn't mean that you have to sink in it. In fact, the truth is, if you think about it, the only way that the boat sinks is if you let the outside inside. In other words, like Abigail, you can rise above the depressing churlishness of people like Nabal and be instead a man or a woman of joy and blessing and grace. Let the devil and the world and the flesh play the blame game. You hear it in media, it's everywhere. Our entire generation of young people are told, use the blame game. God's people are way above that. Number one, you can be blessed without being a blessing, Nabal. Number two, you can be burdened without being a burden. There are folks in this room. I mean, I walked this morning and shook hands with Bill, and Bill told me that he's learning to trust God even more. And I'm thinking, man, there's a man under burdens but he wasn't a burden to me. He was a blessing to me. Dozens of you like that in this room. Number three, and finally, you can be a miracle without doing miracles. I want you to follow this very carefully. Back in chapter 25 again, it says this in verse 18. You'll see it. 
Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready-dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins. I mean, she's like an Italian, eat, eat, you must eat, and 200 cakes of figs. It just goes on. Verse 24, and fell at David's feet and said, upon me, my Lord. Think about this for a minute. She just heard what her husband, the fool, said by way of message to David, and David's not happy. She knows this is dangerous, and so she's packing up all this stuff. It's a peace offering. And she comes and falls at his feet. This is a woman who's married to a wealthy man. And notice what she says. And fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Wow. Verse 28, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. Thine handmaid? For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee in all thy days. Wow. What trespass? I have a question. Abigail wasn't guilty of foolishness and pride. That was Nabal. So what, what in the world is she doing here? After all, David's on his way to kill her husband. There are a lot of women that would be like, oh, hmm. <laughs> right? Please stop. Help. <clears throat> Not this child of God. This woman reveals what a queen she was. Because even in her very tough position in life, she was a miracle in action. She interceded both for the good of David, for the good of her household, and even for the good of Nabal. You want to see a miracle? Chapter 25 and verse 12 says this. So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all the sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. Uh-oh, David is hot and bothered. Lock and load, he said, we ride at dawn or whatever. And Abigail knows, knows this is foolishness on her husband's part. The danger, the bloodshed. So that she says again in verse 18, Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves. You know what that is that we read earlier? It's a lot of work. All this food and all this stuff, traipsing it across, halfway across the country. She herself preparing herself to go. That's a lot of labor and thought and sacrifice. This isn't a miracle that Abigail is performing. She's not doing miracles. What it is is an act of courage, an act of faith, and selflessness. So that's not the miracle. Neither is this. You'll notice chapter 25, verse 23 again. When Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. Who's humble, by the way? Husband or wife? And fell at his feet and said, Upon thee, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. Abigail stopped a terrible deed with her grace and her wisdom. But that's not the miracle. That's hard work. That's sacrifice. That's selflessness. 
That's being obedient to the law of Moses and loving your neighbors yourself. Here's the miracle. Chapter 25, verse 37. He'll put it on the screen for you. And these are familiar words. Listen to every one of them. It came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal and his wife had told him all these things that his heart died within him and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about 10 days after. Some people assume it was a stroke because it took 10 days and he sat there that the Lord smote Nabal that he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal. And hath kept his servant from evil, for the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us to thee to take thee to him to wife. You see, folks, It's God who does miracles. It is God who blesses the humble acts of labor and devotion and service and turns them into greater things. Luke 14.11 says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And whosoever humbleth himself shall be exalted. Nabal was abased. What happened to Abigail? She became the king's wife. Whoso humbleth herself shall be exalted. And God honored her. Because as a woman of understanding, she made a difference in someone someone else's life. I remember reading once about Mary Slessor. There in the mission field, she came upon a very poor little boy and seeing him look longingly at a little piece of bread. She brought him over to herself and she began to wash all the filth off of his face. And just as the boy was watching her wash the mud from his brow, he looked in Mary Slesher's eyes. And he said, ma'am, are you you God's wife? You know, Mary Slesher didn't do miracles. But she herself became one. Nabal saw a need and an opportunity, and he said, you have a problem, and I don't care. Abigail saw a need and a problem and an opportunity, and she said, we have a problem, and I do care. And you know, beloved, in a world that's filled, filled with Nabals, most music these days, films, glorify the Nabals. Listen to the lyrics of most hip-hop. It glorifies the Nabals. In a world that's filled with people that are mean and foolish and selfish to the core. In a world where greatness is determined by someone's possessions. Why not you and I, as God's children, go ahead and die to self and be a miracle of God? Don't go on doing miracles. Be a miracle. So, you fast forward now. From Abigail's existence with Nabal. And you go all the way to this scene in our original text with fanfare and joy and hope and purpose. And you realize this is where all of God's people end up in glory. This is a picture. 
And it is a reminder that ultimately all of God's saints will be rejoicing at the coronation of Jesus. So when, when is God going to get rid of my Nabal, my boss, or this or that or the other? All of us who love God, who are saved by His grace, are going to have a real scene, a real coronation. And all of us are going to look back at whatever we did in history, just like the tribulation saints in Revelation 5. We're going to say the exact same thing. In fact, it's prophesied we're going to say it. We're going to say, thou art worthy. Was it worth it? He's worthy. And therefore, he is worth it. So, since all of us who are saved are going to end up at that scene, why not be a miracle now, the short time you're given? Why not all of us be a blessing? Has God blessed you? I mean, really blessed you? Great. Be a blessing. And why not all of us? We might as well, hey, short time, we might as well, we're headed to glory, we might as well be overcomers in this world of darkness. And God's people said, Amen. our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. You walked in the doors this morning, and I don't know what your need was or is. But I do know the Spirit of God knows and can and does speak to every heart. I, I'll say this. If you're a young person here, you, <laughs> you have plenty of time in it. You're early in your life where you can kind of determine which path you want, Abigail or Nabal. It can be a miracle. The world's full of Nabals. They're everywhere. The woods are full of them. We don't need any more. It's the flesh. It's carnal living. So I would say to you, ask God to help you in that regard. God gives us these heroes. These people, these things were written for our learning and admonition. We're supposed to learn from these stories. And again, I don't know what your need is. And some in this room, in a group this size, there would be many, several, who are not even saved, not even born again. And this is the day of salvation for you. You're a sinner, you're lost, you need Jesus as Savior. Yes. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today and I'm saved by the grace of God. If I were to die today, I'd be in heaven because I've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But as a Christian, as a child of God, something in the text that the Lord used in my life this morning, something you needed to be reminded of and God has spoken to your heart. Say, Pastor Blaylock, that's me. I'm, a, I'm Christian. I'm saved, but I needed the message today. Who would say that with heads bowed? Would you raise your hands? Who in the building? Amen and amen. Look, do not, do not live your little teeny tiny life here and waste it on climbing a ladder and stepping on people on the way up. Be a blessing. Make a difference. Be a miracle. Don't be a burden, even if you have burdens. Don't be bitter just because of your bitter circumstances. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Blalock, I'm not sure I'm that person you mentioned who's not sure that his name is in heaven, not sure that he's saved. Could we pray for you? I won't embarrass you, but we'd love to pray for you. That's me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Maybe you're at home watching right there in your living room or your bedroom. You could just get down on your knees right there even. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me that I could be sure? Who would say that? Would you lift your hands in the building? Anyone like that? God bless you. I see your hands, sir. Anyone else? Amen. We're going to pray in a moment. As always, have a time of invitation. This is an altar up here. You can kneel if you're a Christian. You want to speak to someone. Brother Andy will be here at the front.
Whatever God is speaking to your heart about, I hope you'll obey His voice. You know, this world needs transformed, miraculous lives. Christians who actually live what Jesus taught and preached. New creatures. Blessings. May God help us to be that. Father, bless the invitation, Lord. We, we put it into thy hands. I pray, Father, you help us to realize that that you work miracles and you work people into miracles and may we become that one new creatures created in Christ Jesus this workmanship I pray for those who've asked a prayer Lord draw them to you if somebody here not saved Lord you're speaking to their heart continue to use this time and us as your instruments to help them come to Christ to the gospel we praise you for it all in Jesus precious name amen on behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church we thank you for joining us today our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.